Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew 6. Verses 9 to 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for uh, your word, uh, which speaks about your glorious plan of redemption. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the culmination of that redemption and who is our own uh, Savior and Redeemer. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through uh, your word to teach us about Jesus, uh, that we might have more faith in him, that we might be more obedient to him. And um, in particular, as we learn about prayer, uh, Lord, would you um, help us to become uh, disciples of Jesus in uh, our prayer life. And through that prayer, Father God, we ask that you might uh, empower this church and that you might guide this church and that you might lead us uh, in 2019 in the path that uh, would bring greatest glory to you. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. You know, Hudson Taylor was sailing to China. He was sailing to China and... um, Somewhere along the way, they, uh, they got in trouble, and the ship was um, in great danger because the wind had died down, and the current was taking Hudson Taylor toward uh, a number of islands that were known to be populated by cannibals, right? And so um, they were headed that way, and then the captain you know, had tried a bunch of different stuff, and finally he, you know, he said to Hudson Taylor, he said, hey, look, you know, it looks like we're, we're headed toward those islands, and, and uh, you know, all men on deck, because we're going to have to, we might have to fight our way, fight, fight off the cannibals. Um, and Hudson Taylor said to the captain, has everything been done that can be done? And he said, everything's been done that can be done. And then he said, I don't think so. Uh, you have... Captain, you have four Christians on this boat, and you haven't asked us to pray. And so um, he said, we're going to go below, and we're going to pray. And he did. And, um, of course, Hudson Taylor lived. He wasn't eaten by cannibals, because we know that he went on to China and became a great missionary, uh, the greatest China inland missionary uh, in the history of uh, Christianity in China. And so... This happened because of the prayers of these four individuals. You might say uh, it was luck or there was some embellishment or this, that, or the other. But um, if you read about Hudson Taylor's life, you see episode after episode about the impact of prayer on this man's life. And for some of you, Uh, you might be saying, you know what, my life lacks blank. You know, my life lacks blank. Well, the Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. Prayer, above all things, is asking God. That's why it says prayer and thanksgiving. You know, thanksgiving isn't the main part of prayer. The main part of prayer is asking Asking God. You do not have because you do not ask. I'm not saying, 
obviously that God is like the great big genie in the sky and he gives us everything we want. What I'm saying though is that there is an avenue, a channel of grace that runs between me and God, between you and God. And that channel of grace is called prayer. And so if we can get a grip as a community, as a church, and as individual Christians, get a grip on prayer, then this can be a powerful channel of grace. So that in 2019, that blank can be filled. You know, that emptiness, that, that lack can be filled through prayer because you have learned to pray and, that, and because you are praying. You're a man or woman of prayer, okay? So that's uh, part of the impetus of this series. And today we're going to do an overview, a quick, brief overview of the Lord's Prayer. And this is the game plan. Uh, there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to take those petitions later and one by one, we're going to look at them, not uh, breaking them down uh, merely as like, like as concepts in, in a topical way, um, or even exegeting this passage, you know, continually. But rather, uh, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of that, but then we're going to look at prayers in the Bible that represent that, you know, like hallowed be your name. Or your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where's an example of that? An actual prayer in the Bible. And then I'm going to take those, pick those up, and then we're going to look at them, and we're going to um, see through that how we can pray ourselves. Pray those prayers ourselves in our life. And in doing so, um, I believe that it's going to result in a fuller spiritual life for you that God's going to begin to work in your life in a new way, in a way that he hasn't worked in before, because you're praying, you know, because you're praying, and you're praying in the right way, right, for the right things. Okay, so uh, we're going to look uh, at today at the Lord's Prayer, which is the template for this series, but uh, we're going to do, you know, kind of a bird's eye view. Right? So, you look again at verses uh, 9 to 13, and you notice um, that the disciples have asked Jesus how, how to pray. Right? You look at the Luke account, and you see that, uh, that he has asked, that they have asked Jesus, how do we pray? And Jesus' answer is not... You know, it doesn't go something like, well, clasp your hands together, close your eyes, you know, and no, it's, it's, um, the answer to how to pray is in what you pray for. And so the answer to how to pray is in the content of your prayer, what you are praying for. That matters. To Jesus, and so it should matter to us. Um, so, how do we pray? And it, and so it boils down to these six petitions. But even before these petitions, there's this really important address, which Jesus kicks us off with: "Our Father," right? "Our Father," and this is really important because our Father teaches us a few things. One, from the context, right? What are the verses, verses 5 to 7, what do they talk about? What do they deal with? You guys know? Verses 5 to 7, they deal with, yeah, they deal with bad examples of prayer, how not to pray, right? So the first thing I want to say about our Father, you know, Jesus says, pray then in this way, our Father. That's the address. That's really helpful for us. Because actually, that is sort of a counterweight 
to the two bad examples of how not to pray that Jesus just finished talking about in verses 5 to 7, right? So what do I mean by that? I mean that our, our prayers are to God, our Father. You might think, well, oh, duh, Pastor Ed, who else would they be for? Well, a lot of people pray insincerely. They pray like hypocrites. That was Jesus' point. They don't go and pray. They never pray in secret when nobody else is watching or listening. These are the kind of people that will only pray at church, only pray when they're eating lunch with Christians. <laughs> you know, uh, they're, they're, they will never pray when they're by themselves or when others aren't watching. And so who's their audience? You know, what is prayer to them? It's just a display. And the audience is other people. And the credit they want is from not from God, but from other people. And so it's very insincere, right? But what is prayer? It's prayer to our Father, right? Um, and the second um, bad example is the people, the pagans, who use repetition to be heard by God, you know, to use some sort of uh, formula to be heard by God, to impress God, or to earn God's um, ear, to curry God's favor. For God to hear my prayer, I need to pray for one hour, or I need to uh, really put in effort and show that I'm into it, and then God will hear me, right? Some version of that. And this is the second type of uh, bad prayer that Jesus points out. And he says, no, when you come to pray, the very act of prayer isn't like a pious act that's going to curry God's favor, that's going uh, to turn God's ear to, your, to hear you, right? Why? Because he says, that's how the pagans pray. They don't pray our father. They're praying to the great God that's far away, and so I gotta earn, I gotta take steps to earn my way right into God's throne room and to for Him to hear my petition and to receive it and to grant it. But what do we pray? Our Father, which means what? Which means we don't have to impress God. We don't have to earn God's favor. He's already our Father. And if He's your Father, then when is it an issue? that he's not your father. Never, right? And so when we come to God and we ask God for things, it's not on the basis of trying to earn his favor, it's on the basis of our relationship with God, who is our father in heaven. And he wants to listen to you. He wants to hear you. Why? Because he is our father in heaven, right? Or as it says in Matthew 7, in the very same very same chapter, or in the very same section, in the very next chapter, verses 9 and 10, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, that is, you're not a perfect father, right, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the attitude of God toward us, his children. He says, I'm your father. I'm your perfect father. I'm your father in heaven. Right? I'm going to love you perfectly. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to protect you. Why? Because I'm your father in heaven. Right? And so that's the first thing I want you to notice. The second thing I want you to notice is our. It's our and uh, it's not just, it's not my father, although he is my father, but this model prayer says our father. Why? Because I think the reason why it says our is because this prayer is a communal prayer. Okay, you got to understand that. This prayer is not a personal prayer. Like, like, if Elizabeth was, you know, 
praying, and she said, um, you, you know, hey, let's all lift up my, my, my friend, you know, Jane. Um, and so let, let's all lift, lift, lift her up in prayer. And we can all lift her up in prayer, right? But we don't know Jane. Jane's Liz's friend, right? Um, that's a personal prayer. But this is a communal prayer. In other words, this prayer represents um, universal hopes, universal aspirations, and universal desires of all Christians. Right? That's what this represents. And that's why it's our, our Father, right? Uh, that's what we need to remember, right? And then um, uh, when we take these two things together, it's our Father and then the context, then we're going to understand that this address is really important. Um, what do we ask? What do we ask from God? There are two sets of petitions here in this passage. Two things that we ask from God. One is, um, one set of petitions of the six that are going to follow after this address is asking God for God. It's really weird. <laughs> you know, we're asking God for things, but not for us, but for God. Right? And then the second set of uh, thing petitions is things that we ask to God for ourselves. Okay, so three plus three, those are the six, right? So one set is of this kind, one set is of that kind. And some of you guys um, have bought into that idea that the first set is weird. Why would we ask God for God, right? And um, that, you know, that's not a good attitude to have. Because, you know, why wouldn't we? Right? Our, our, you know, what we pray for represents what we desire, right? Among other things, what we hope for. And so why wouldn't we hope for and desire things for God? You know? Um, you know? We're team God, if you want to put it that way. You know, like the Asian cups? Asian cup? Matt? Right? Those of you guys that are into soccer, um, you know, I watched the Asian Cup right until the quarterfinals. <laughs> you know why? <laughs> because I'm Team Korea. Once Korea lost to, uh, what was it? Lost to um, huh? Qatar, Qatar. I used to, I learned it as Qatar. Is it Qatar or Qatar? Yeah, anyway, um, the moment Korea lost to Qatar, I stopped watching the Asian Cup. I was really curious. I was really excited. I was really interested in watching that soccer tournament, you know, in the Middle East until Korea lost. Why? Because that was my team, right? And the moment they lost, I stopped watching. And I, just, I don't even know who won, right? I just stopped watching. I wasn't interested anymore, right? And there are some people who will pray about themselves and they're really interested. They're really excited. But the moment it says, oh, praying about God, what? I'm not interested. And you just betray that you're not a real disciple of Jesus. Right? Because a true Christian is team God. Right? And so we're really interested. We're really passionate. We have great desires and aspirations for God. Because he's our father. Because we love him. Because we're part of his family. Because we're team God, right? And so uh, it betrays a great um, sinful self-centeredness, right? which has no place in our prayer life. However, there are two sets of prayers, right? One is for God. Um, one, is, one is a prayer to God for God. And another prayer, set of prayers is uh, to God for ourselves. So a brief word about the prayers that are to God, for God, right? Um, you read there, our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? In heaven, hallowed be your name. And we pray to our Father who is in heaven, uh, which emphasizes that we're on earth, right? 
uh, we're on earth, a place threatened by sin, temptation, and evil. And so what are we longing for? We're longing for God, God's name to be honored, because we live on earth. We live in a place where sin, uh, where evil, where world cultures that are fallen in sin, uh, where the devil, where all these th uh, things and players are at work against honoring God's name. And so what do we pray for? We pray for our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? In heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, and may your will be brought forth and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And that's what we pray for. In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? But what does it mean to hallow the name of God? Eric mentioned earlier, um, you know, a definition, right? That's a good one. Um, hallowed means, at its very base, it means holy, right? And what does holy mean? Holy means two things. One, it's used at, like, as, in terms of character and ethics, it means like you're perfect. But holy also means something else. It means to be set apart, right? Set apart. When something is holy, it means it's set apart for special use, right? Or it's very different from everything else. And so um, I think the idea is sort of like in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, where it says, where Solomon says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. I think that's a good like idea of what Jesus is trying to get to, that he's saying, you know, our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's in heaven. We're on earth, right? He's holy, set apart, totally different from us. That's the emphasis. And that difference is, uh, is the reason for the regard that we should have for God. You know, as high as heaven is from the earth, so far is God from us. It's pointing to the fact that God, God's special. There are things about God that where he doesn't share those attributes with anybody else, right? And so we hollow his name. That means we praise him. That's the second thing you need to understand. This idea in heaven, hallowed be your name, is also a charge for his people to praise God. To praise God, right? Because he is in heaven, or in other words, because he's holy, right? And we need to hallow him. We need to praise him. Um, and then there's one implication that I want to mention um, just really quickly, which is that when we, that when we understand that we need to hallow the name of God, um, then we understand that one of the main ways that God's name is hollowed and also one of the great impediments, one of the great obstacles, one of the great reasons why God's name isn't honored and revered in the world is because of Christians themselves. That you and I are one of the biggest reasons why God's name isn't honored. That was the problem of the Old Testament saints who carried the name of God. You know, uh, you read in Ezekiel 36 um, where they kept on disobeying God and finally they fell into um, captivity. And then all the people, foreign countries, who followed foreign gods made fun of God. They said, look, why? Because God's honor was tied to his people and his people were in captivity and God allowed it. As a, you know, as, a, as a tool to chastise his own people. Um, 
And so it's the same for us as Christians, that we carry the name of God. Isaiah 43, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I create for my glory, whom I formed and made. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name. You and I as Christians carry the name of God. As a church, we carry the name of God. And when we blaspheme, when we dishonor, when we show ourselves as being hypocritical, when we um, don't show mercy, when we're not generous, when we're, you know, all these different things, then God's name is dishonored. That's exactly the point in Romans 2, 23 and 24. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Right? And so this is, a, this is a great area of prayer for us. That if we want God's name to be honored, we need to pray for God's church to be honorable. To be more honorable. To be more pure. Right? To be more uh, reflective of the hallowedness of God himself. For we carry his name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know? And that's, of course, the very reason uh, why Jesus came. He came, Matthew 4, 17, preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's praying for the kingdom to come. And when we pray the, for the kingdom to come, what do we mean? You know, what do we mean? We mean the greater manifestation of Christ's, of Christ's kingdom on this earth. How is the kingdom of God manifested? Through the preaching of the gospel. That's how it's manifested. Through the works of the church that display the splendor of the gospel. That's how it happens. And of course, specifically, uh, your kingdom come can be really confusing because it's almost like when you see a mountain from afar and you're driving toward it, you think oh, it's a single mountain, but then once you get drive close enough, you realize, oh, it's actually two peaks. There's another mountain behind it. Or it's even like a series of mountains, but they're all behind them. And it, it, from the angle that you're driving, and because you were so far away, you only saw the single mountain. But in reality, what the kingdom of God is about was that it was ushered in when Christ came. And everybody thought, oh, the kingdom of God, it's come, and it's here. And so a lot of disciples were confused because they were saying, Jesus, when are you going to do X, Y, and Z? You know, because they thought the kingdom was here now, and that's the end of it. What they didn't realize was that, no, they're just looking at the single mountain, but when you get closer, it's actually two mountains. Jesus came, but he's going to go, ascend, and he's going to come back. There's another mountain. And so they represent, these two mountains represent his coming and then his returning, the kingdom of God. In one in its ushering and the other in its consummation. One in its beginning and the other in its, um, in its final realization in fullness. And so that's something else you need to understand about the kingdom. Um, and then finally, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. right? And so the Lord's Prayer focuses our attention on God, on the glory of God, and, um, and on God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how God is glorified and hallowed. When his kingdom comes in its fullness, but even in between his first coming and his second coming, that the church is faithful in the preaching of the gospel, in the displaying of the splendors of the gospel through its ministry. Um, and then finally, when Christ returns, there's going to be this fullness of uh, the hallowedness of God's name being revealed when Christ returns. And it happens when his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Okay, and then the second set of um, requests, which are to God for us, 
begins in verse 11 with, give us this day our daily bread, right? And this is really interesting. Um, one, uh, the first one, you probably guessed it, bread, uh, just a symbol for all that is necessary in our daily life, right? So things that we need, we need to pray for, we need to ask God for. We need to do it. And God is pleased to hear our prayers and is pleased when we are dependent upon him and is pleased when he meets our needs. Um, so, but there's something else here that I want you to notice that maybe you didn't know. That is that there's a slight difference between the Matthew account of this phrase, give us today our daily bread, and the Luke account. And the difference is, the Matthew account is, um, it's present tense, right? And it used, uh, and, and so it, the basic idea is exactly reflected in the wording. Give us today our daily bread. That's the best rendering. That's in the Luke account, right? Um, and it points to a daily trust in God. But the Matthew account might have more meaning encompassed in it. I'm not saying that it doesn't have that meaning, but I'm saying that it might have more because it's not in the, in the um, present tense, but it's in the, what we call the aorist tense, right? And it doesn't use the word daily or every day, but it uses the word today. And so when you put those two facts together, one, the tense, and the second, the difference in wording between daily or every day and today, what you could get an interpretation of, an, an, an interpretation that you could end up with is something like, give us today tomorrow's bread. You've probably never heard that before, right? I mean, I'm saying that this is, a variant, uh, this is a variant and this is a possible reading of it due to those two changes. And one in vocabulary, the other in tense. Now, you're thinking, that sounds really weird. And that sounds totally against the spirit of the first, um, you know, translation. Uh, and what Luke, the Luke, uh, Luke 11 is a parallel of this in terms of they're both wordings of the Lord's Prayer. Slightly different, but, you know, both the Lord's Prayer. And you might say, well, it's a to they're, they're totally antithetical. And, but they're not. They're not. But what does it mean, then? Uh, to pray, give us, not give us this day our daily bread, but uh, give us today tomorrow's bread, right? That sounds kind of greedy. And that sounds, I don't know, it just doesn't sound right. Uh, but until you realize um, that there is something uh, that is scriptural about it. In Exodus 16, 25, Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. What are, we, what are they talking about there? Manna, right? Because on the sixth day, you gather manna, or you gather tomorrow's bread today. And so what, is, what are you asking for then? You're asking for the Sabbath bread. What is that? You're asking for a taste of heaven. You know, that, that marriage supper of the Lamb, that Sabbath, the, the bread you're going to eat in heaven. So you're asking both for a taste of heaven now and you're asking for heaven to come now. You're asking for, or for you to go to heaven now. You're asking for the kingdom of God to come, in other words. And so it takes on that eschatological idea, the idea of Christ come, return, Maranatha, Christ come quickly. That idea is there. Also the idea, you know, that I don't want just regular bread. I want the bread of heaven. I want a taste of heaven now. Right? So it's a beautiful, beautiful, um, you know, description of a godly desire, right? A godly desire that we should have that points beyond the daily bread into a heavenly bread, that points beyond this life into the life to come. 
And then it says, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors, right? In the Luke account, it says sins. And then, and debt is just a metaphor for, for sins. So what are we supposed to do? We're to ask God for our daily bread, and we're to ask God for forgiveness. When was the last time you confessed your sins to God? You know? When was the last time you asked you you asked God for forgiveness of sins of a specific sin from God? You might think, well, I've been redeemed, you know, I don't need to actually you do. You know, this passage, this is a pattern of prayer, right? And so this is something we're we're to follow this pattern as a pattern for Christian life. Right? And so we're going we're gonna to be asking God for forgiveness. Not because we're not Christians when we sin. Not that, because we can lose our salvation. But because we have a living relationship with God our Father. And sin separates us in the same way it separates a married couple. When one sins against the other, you know, the husband sins against the wife, what do you think? Does the husband just say, oh, we're married. It's okay. Makes no difference. Right? We've got that kind of relationship where we forgive each other. I don't need to spell it out. (laughs) You'll understand. You know, those are the exact kind of words that women hate. Their wives hate that kind of attitude, right? Why? Because they, they, this is a real relationship, right? You can't just go back to the basis of the relationship and just depend upon that for your daily living in, in terms of, you know, the quality of your relationship day to day. And, you know, that's the, it's the same difference between Ephesians 1, 6 to 8 and 1 John 1, uh, 9. You know, both talk about redemption, uh, for what, both talk about for a kind of forgiveness, but one is the redemption of, from non-Christian to Christian. The other is a forgiveness that talks about a Christian and his father in heaven, right? We're to, we're to ask God for forgiveness every day because we sin every day, because we have a relationship with God every day that matters, that matters. And uh, we are to forgive, um, and we ask for forgiveness as we have also forgiven our debtors, right? And this this is really important, because some people have not made up their minds. What I mean by this is that they'll demand justice um, from other people when they should be demanding mercy. And how this is displayed is that they won't forgive the little debts that other people have against them. They'll play it up and they'll nurse it, nurse a grudge. I'm not saying that this, you know, you can't get upset when you, you know, somebody, um, you know, does you wrong. But what I'm saying is that is that a pattern of life that you have a kind of a vantage point of life where you're always demanding justice from everybody else. And God's point is, you need to make up your mind. Are you going to live by justice or are you going to live by mercy? Right? Because if you're going to live by mercy, if you've received mercy, then, you're gonna, then you need to live by mercy. And you need to dispense mercy to other people. You know, Don't be between, in between, thinking that you can receive mercy from God, get this big debt forgiven, and then demand justice from everybody else. That's what it's saying here. Make up your mind, right? You need to cancel all these little debts that others have um, uh, incurred against you because God's forgiven the great big debt that you have incurred against him. 
And finally, uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is a, kind of, on the surface, it can be a weird. How many of you guys have thought, man, this is kind of weird. I don't understand it quite, right? <laughs> this is one of those passages where if somebody doesn't really explain it to you, it can be, a, it can be kind of a hard to untangle, right? Because it says here, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, James 1 says that God doesn't tempt anyone. You know, Luke 4, or not Luke 4, Matthew 4, says that the Spirit led Jesus to be tempted in the desert. So it seems like God has tempted someone. And it seems like, or we can take James 1 and say God never tempts anyone. And in either case, there are two reasons not to pray this prayer. Unless you understand that temptation doesn't uh, always mean incitement to do evil. But temptation can mean trial, difficulty. And if you understand it that way, uh, like a test, like God tests us, refines us, you know, like puts us through the fire to burn away all the impurities, makes us stronger, that sort of idea. And so what we're actually saying when we pray this prayer is that when you lead me in temptation, with that kind of understanding of what temptation is, um, keep me, uphold me, don't let me fall. That's what we're asking from God. And of course, there is a time of testing. And it's getting worse as time grows closer for Christ's return. Right? So we're living in that period of time where Christ called the last age. It is the age that was inaugurated when Christ came into the world and is going to be consummated when Christ returns. That's the final age. And that's an age that's going to be marked by incredible persecution. Um, incredible temptation. And the adversary is going to put the conflict on us. But that's not all he's going to do. Because some people are saying, well, psh, I don't feel it. That's not the only way that the adversary works. The adversary works by bringing a time of um, great testing in terms of suffering and you know oppressiveness. But also he brings a great temptation through seduction, through prosperity. That you get, that you live in a country, culture that's very open, that's very permissive, and that's, um, and where there's a lot of material prosperity, that's like the norm, then you can be seduced, right? You can be seduced by that prosperity. You wanna live in that prosperity, and you don't want to suffer any want, you don't want to suffer any discomfort, and you get used to it, and so you're seduced by it. And that can, that of course is uh, just as bad. And for those of you who don't believe that there is um, any real suffering that you've seen, you know, firsthand, you know, Peter Kim, Mark's brother, you know, he comes to church sometimes, and he spoke a while back. I want to invite him back sometime soon. But he's here in the United States, not because he had any planned vacation or furlough, but because all the foreign missionaries were kicked out of China, basically. And so there is, and, and the churches that are there are being persecuted. I don't know where it's going to go, if it's going to be ratcheted up. It's kind of like low, mid-level persecution right now. But it's getting worse, right? It's not as bad as the Uyghurs, treatment of the Uyghurs, but it's getting worse. Um, and so we see this around us. Uh, we don't have to look that far to see oppression and seduction working together. So let us pray 
to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? Um, and then the, you know, the, um, uh, the last part, which is not in the Bible, but was introduced in uh, around the third century. It was really old, though. And it's not biblical, like it's not in the Bible. It's a, it's a nice summation, though, of everything that went before it. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Or in the Heidelberg Catechism version, for the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever. Amen. Right. And so uh, it's, it's a nice summary. It's an appropriate summary, but it's not in the Bible. But we've, we added that to, um, to the Lord's Prayer. And so there you have it, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I think that, um, if anything, the Lord's Prayer reveals the utter dependence that we have on the Father. And I think the Lord's Prayer also impresses upon our heart that we should not doubt, but we should be confident and at peace that God is hearing our prayers and that God is working in our lives. You know, if you're like a 12-year-old and your parents left you alone to meet your needs, uh, to, for you to kind of live on your own and to meet your own needs, um, you know, the, the fact that that, that that possibility is there, that, that your parents could actually just say, hey, you're on your own. Um, or that, uh, that, or that, that, that that idea reveals how dependent you are on them, you know, shouldn't lead that 12-year-old to worry and to doubt and to, um, you know, think, well, you know, I'm so dependent on my parents. You know, now I can't, I can't hardly, you know, sleep at all. But rather, that we realize we are the 12-year-old, that we are children, that we are feeble, yet our identity as children of God is not shaky or in doubt but that Christ is our pledge and guarantee of our adoption, and that we are sons of God, co-heirs with Christ, to all the blessings of heaven, and we are under God's fatherly care. And so we pray according to the Lord's Prayer, and we're reminded of Galatians 3, 26 to 28, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And we should realize that we are utterly dependent upon the Father. And that should give us great confidence. And that should give us great peace. And that should compel us motivate us to pray all the more because through prayer God works and gets things done when men work men work but when, when but when men pray God works right when men work men work but when men pray God works right Pray that um, that this week you might have a more prayer, uh, a more fervent, a more urgent prayer life, right? And discover the reality of this truth that it is a beautiful, wonderful, and powerful channel of God's grace to pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word today uh, that you spoke to us on this uh, wonderful and um, and instructive passage about prayer that we are so feeble and weak and dependent but Lord you are that much more gracious 
and you are that much more um, in control and sovereign and generous to provide all things, including your son, Jesus. And so we thank you um, that you have provided this avenue for us to communicate um, the things that are in our heart, uh, the things that, um, that we uh, desire for you, that your name be glorified, hallowed, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Lord, we pray that, uh, that your name indeed is honored um, on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray, Father God, that your people might enjoy your largesse um, in all things. And in particular, Father God, I lift up all the people that are here in this ministry I pray that you might bless them in their uh, in their career, um, in their career movements, uh, Lord. That you might open doors even as you close others. That you might provide options for them. Uh, that you might um, encourage them, Father God, through signs, um, through signs that they are on the right path. That you are, or at the very least, that you are with them and present with them and blessing them even as you were with Joseph um, in his promotions, Lord, be with them and theirs. We pray, Father God, that you might be with uh, the people um, in their great worries and fears. Uh, Lord, that these might not grip them and dominate them, but that uh, they might um, present these very real and honest uh, emotions and um, struggles with you in prayer. And that, Lord, you might take them as a father does and listen and to bring comfort to your children, to encourage us away from fear and away from anxiety and toward trust and, uh, and toward uh, a more accurate and better understanding of just how much you care for us and how much you protect and provide for us. And so help us, Lord, to lift, you, lift up our needs, our daily bread needs. Um, of course, Lord, to lift up our spiritual needs that we are sinful. And without you, we are doomed and without any hope. Uh, but you have given us your son, Jesus, um, through, which, uh, through whom we have uh, sonship, adoption, as uh, full co-inheritors of heaven and of the heavenly bread. And so we look and long also for the kingdom to come and for the bread to come and for the life to come. And Lord, we ask that you might help us to live between here and then in a way that is honorable to you and help us, Lord, in our prayers and through our prayers that we might... Um, find all the grace that we need uh, to live that life that would uh, reflect the Lord's prayer. And we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.